and a half hours until first pitch between the Blue Jays and Minnesota Twins in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at a mostly sold-out target field, although there's uh, some debate about that. Uh, Blue Jays trying to put a rather disappointing regular season behind it. All those stats, irrelevant, Brent. <laughs> it's a it's a brand-new season. It's a brand-new ball game for a Blue Jays team that still has World Series aspirations. How are you feeling on, on game day? Yeah, feeling good. It's finally here. Uh, I have to commend Major League Baseball for just the one off day. I know this is how they do it, but sometimes in sports, we have this long, mushy layoff period between when the playoffs get started. None of that in baseball. No time for sitting around. Mm. No time for dilly-dallying. Just a little workout outside. I saw. I was watching some hockey last night, and I saw Santiago Espinal working out on the workout day at Target Field or whatever they're calling it down there. So, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. It's finally here. And, yes, playoffs today. Quadruple header on Sportsnet. Oh, it's so good. It's a baseball lover's paradise. Are you one by, by chance? Yeah, I think I, you might I, enjoy the game. I enjoy myself uh, some seams. Uh, Rangers Rays start off the day on Sportsnet 1. Blue Jays twins at 4.30. Diamondbacks Brewers at 7 o'clock. And then Marlins Phillies, a full day of baseball action mm. on Sportsnet. We got all the games. Um, and yeah, the Blue Jays do not get the, the early uh, slot. They get the second slot. Kevin Gossman against Pablo Lopez, who is... He's pretty darn good, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think maybe people sleep on the Twins as an overall entity, and rightly so, because they play in the American League Central, and they only won 87 games, and they're the Twins. Yep. And like I said, they might not sell out the playoff game today, and they've lost 18 straight <laughs> postseason games. Pablo Lopez is real damn good. They, they traded Luis Arise for him, mm-hmm. which, boy, I know Luis Arise got a lot of attention this season because he was chasing 400, ended up hitting in the, the high 360s. But both teams took advantage of that deal. Pablo Lopez upped his strikeout total to a career high, added a couple of miles per hour to the average fastball velocity, added a sweeper, and he's been nothing short of spectacular for them. Um, First-time All-Star against Kevin Gossman, who has been the Blue Jays' ace ever since they signed him as the Robbie Ray replacement. But as we talked yesterday ad nauseum about, and we are going to Mm -hmm. continue to talk about today as uh, we head to the ballpark and talk to Dan Schulman later on, we'll talk to John Morosi as well. Mm, twins is bugaboo uh-huh. and Edward Julian has seen him well. Like there's a bunch of guys that have seen him well. There's also, yeah, Edward Julian, people are maybe unfamiliar with him who didn't watch the world baseball classic and shame on you. If you didn't, he was damn good in that thing. Uh-huh. Good Canadian kid uh, was a twins farmhand when he was playing for team Canada before the season arrived at the major league level this year and has been great, great, great for that twins team. It's it's as far as betting odds are concerned, the closest series for, for, for people, and I, I've looked at a, a couple of prognostications mm-hmm. as well. A lot of people coin flipping this series. Yeah, very much so. Uh, a lot to a lot to pick up there. You know, it's funny you mentioned the the uh, Luis Arise for Pablo Lopez trade. That is a supercharged version of what the Jays did with Teoscar Hernandez and, and Eric Swanson, right? Yeah. And not that they're going to have a fun time with Pablo Lopez today, but... You only got to see him once. Uh, Luis Arise would have been absolutely the least fun ever. Uh, imagine Ale- imagine Alejandro Kirk made contact like he did, but they dropped for hits and he wasn't uh, as slow as he is. Like uh, what, what Arise is able to do is incredible. So yeah, not not that you're getting off easy, but very, very nice not to have to deal with him for, for two or three. The Lopez trade was a big one. It really kind of reset 
what their franchise was able to be, what it was able to do. And, you know, I think when you are a team like the Twins, you're always searching for that bit of identity, and they found it in, in pitching this year. Boy, tell me if this sounds familiar, except they're actually able to to do damage with the long ball. The fact that there's a Canadian lurking in all of this, that is unseemly for me, just a guy who is so much about mm. bad juju, and I don't like that yeah, part do, of it. How do you feel about him talking about watching the Blue Jays and the bat flip and being a fan of Jose Bautista and, and you know, referencing recent yeah. Blue Jays teams and saying that was cool and now facing them in a, in a pretty important playoff series. First blush old. Very yeah. first, very first blush. Oh, yeah. what? Mm-mm. No, that that's true. too soon for you a guy to be. Yeah, I mean, younger. happy birthday, by the way, Mark Giordano today. It's oh, his 40th birthday. Finally, uh, no more three on three for him. There, that's just a rule. Once you turn 40, you're not allowed to, to do that anymore. Uh, in terms of in terms of this series, though, you're right. It is going to be very much a coin flip, and I think that that just bodes well for so many juicy narratives to pick at, right? Because if this was the Jays going up against, you know, not that they could. This is not how baseball works. But some buzzsaw Dodgers team or something like that, you'd say, all right, let's see how this goes. But this Twins team, not so much on paper, but because of how people feel about them, they feel gettable. They don't feel scary. And guess what? They might not be. They won 87 games. They're in the Central. So there's going to be a lot to pick at regardless of what way this one goes. But I can't wait. Four o'clock today. Yeah, they face the fewest um, teams above 500 during the regular season of anybody in the playoff field. But they, they they are formidable. It's it's you know you, you can go back and forth on the thing because there's obviously some very skilled players um, on this roster and to lead the American League in pitcher strikeouts to have as many home runs as they've hit this season. Eh, not that it doesn't matter who you face, but it's uh, yeah you you can't just luck or fluke your way into those type of statistics. But Blue Jays road to 89 wins a lot tougher than the Twins rode to 87 wins. So I mentioned, you know, off the top, like where where people's emotions are at, where where they're at uh, as far as an anxiety level is concerned. Uh, let's compare it to a season ago, right, mm-hmm. where the Blue Jays also, you know, just snuck into the playoffs at the end there. It was a little bit in doubt, but played some of their best baseball down the stretch to not only get into the playoffs, end up with a home playoff date, and a, a couple of them could have been as many as three against the Seattle Mariners. Um, and going into a series where we were we were getting our first taste uh, of what you know some of these guys would do in the postseason, not necessarily Vlad and Bo, because we saw them in that in that brief weirdo. I don't know how you feel about the 2020 season and the two games against the Rays. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, will allow the good to come out of it. Like, I close my eyes and think, oh, that was so fun for Nate Pearson. Mm. And other than that, I really don't think of much, right. honestly. That's actually, like, what I take away, literally, that's it. I just close my eyes and I think of Nate yeah. Pearson. Hey, that was fun. Yeah. And then then, then, then it makes me sad because what happened? Where'd he go? Uh, but actually, that is the only thing I have taken away from it somehow. No, honestly, I, that series was so forgettable. I, I forgot the one positive <laughs> thing that came out of it. And you're right. It was Nate Pearson. Um, so we got to see Vlad and Bo back in the postseason for the first time since since that weirdo season in 2020 last year. And we got to see Alec Manoa, what he would look like, postseason starter Alec Manoa, because mm. it seemed like he was so built for that moment. Turns out very much not. No. <laughs> uh, was not built for the moment, was not built for uh, home openers, was not built for season openers, might not be built for Major League Baseball, but there was there was a lot of excitement along with nervousness going mm-hmm. into that series, but they were the clear favorites yeah. against a Mariners team that had handled them pretty well during the regular season and, in fact, probably cost Charlie Montoyo his job when they swept the Blue Jays in Seattle a, a season ago. This year, okay, I said it's a coin flip, but, you know, if you're, you're just going factually, 
Blue Jays are underdogs in this series. That being said, we talked about the relative disappointment of the regular season. You go out in this series as a, as a coin flip team, despite the fact it's on the road, really does paint the picture of, of it, it's a true disappointment this season if they don't at least win a game in this series. My goodness. You have to find a way to win a game. Just show some pride. I understand that's not how it works. I know you can't just have pride in yourself and show up to the ballpark and, and Rob Manfred shakes your hand and goes, oh, wow, so prideful. Congrats. 1-0 on the, on the series. But you have to find a way. It would be too many cracks at the can to have literally nothing to show for it. You know, in terms of the reaction, in terms of the takeaway, I think... I think so much of it depends on I think so much of it depends on what it looks like, of course, right? You know, we've talked a lot about it. We'll talk a lot about it today. The style Kevin, points? Style points or lack thereof. You know, if Kevin Gosman is the reason that the Jays fall down one oh and the bats all show up and it's a, you know, a six five loss or a seven six loss or something like that, we're gonna feel very different about it than That's if it's the true. game we've watched eight thousand times this year. Uh maybe a little bit off because Kevin Gosman only made thirty something starts. But where Kevin Gosman goes out is even if he's not truly great, he battles, he gives you a chance through five or six, and then you turn it over to the pen and the bats aren't there, it is going to be Meltdown City because it has been a boiling point of that. And I think everyone is kind of given the playoffs as a reset point now. I think there has been an exhale because, okay, they did it. It wasn't pretty. I'm not going to pretend I enjoyed the last few weeks of the season, mm. but they found a way and they got in. It does feel like this is a chance for maybe fresh start is way, way too strong of a term, but a bit of a reset for, for this team and this fan base. No, it's a fresh start. I disagree. <laughs> totally fresh start. It's a new month. It's a new season. It's the postseason, mm. Brent. Um, and it starts this afternoon. So you're right. Style points. I don't know if they matter in the overall thing. It's, you know, like if they, they still go out in two games to the Twins and, and the starting pitching lets them down and they hit the ball, mm-hmm. okay, we can have that conversation about, hey, that was weird. That's yeah. not the way the Blue Jays <laughs> lost games. I still think it's an, an epic disappointment. You're right. I, I guess there's degrees to this thing. I think what people are stealing themselves against and are concerned about is the scenario that you painted, mm-hmm. that you get the pitching, that you get the relief arms, that you get no offense. Mm-hmm. Now, Ross Atkins spoke yesterday talking about how underwhelming this offense has been during the regular season and whether he thinks he's it's about to show up here uh, in this second season, given a reset. When you dig deep into our offense and, uh, you know, wonder why the run production isn't quite as high as maybe some expected or we expected or they expected, uh, there's, there's, no, there's no smoking gun that we can look to to say this is the reason why you can't ask guys to hit balls where you know further or where people aren't there's just been really good consistency around plate appearances around swing decisions around balls that they're looking to do damage on and for whatever reason it just hasn't turned into as many runs early in the year it was runners in scoring position then we had a little bit of lull and power and over the last couple weeks it looks like the offense that um, you know, we thought we would see in spring training. So hopefully that turns out to be the case in spring, during the, the next in this series and, and hopefully beyond that for the Toronto Blue Jays. Okay, maybe he's right. But this, again, it sounds like this Blue Jays team has watched 162 games of, the, of this, this Blue Jays offense. Mm-hmm. This Blue Jays front office, at least, has, has watched all the games that they've played. Some, sometimes it feels like the guys are just watching. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes they are. Um <laughs> They've watched this offense 
They've looked at the numbers they've produced, and they're still doing the thing that I'm not doing anymore. Mm. And they're expecting this thing to look maybe not juggernauty offensively, but something um, a lot better than what we've seen. To me, the sample is large enough. Yes. And I've seen, okay, occasionally this team can put forth some pretty good at-bats. And honestly, over the last couple of weeks, they've had rallies that, their biggest weapon has been getting on base and taking walks and bases loaded walks. And like, yeah, okay. I, I hear you that they're, 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 they're taking close pitches for balls and, and getting on base. I've seen enough of this team not to be waiting for the, the pile of runs that's about to take place. But listening to Ross Atkins, it feels like he and, and the rest of this Blue Jays front office still believe something weird happened during this regular season. And they got like the, the the 1% outcome and the other 99 has this Blue Jays team is scoring a lot more runs than they actually physically did in 2023. I'm sure there, I mean, there's data on everything and, you know, the, what you know, numbers tell the truth, but they can also tell the story you want them to. And if you were the one who had built this baseball team, I would imagine I'd be looking at all the data I possibly could to convince myself, to tell myself, oh, no, no, it's going to be, it's going to be different. And look, I'm sure there are numbers that you can say about BABIP runs this team has had or things along those lines. But guess what? Everyone else in baseball goes through these same things too. And the idea of, ah, maybe it'll turn around because we thought Vlad he was great when he was 16 and I know it is super unfair to make it about that one guy because it's not just about him it's about Matt Chapman and it's about David Schneider going 0 for 30 at one point in time it's about all of those things but if you're Atkins outside of just saying yeah I win a bunch of 2-1 games you're you've got to try to sell yourself on it you have to and the thing with this Jays team is you know, he's not lying in the fact that, yes, there have been moments in these players' careers that most of them have shown there is some, maybe track record's too strong of a term, but some underlying ability to perform, to produce with power, but you're just not seeing it. And, yeah, you can look at the you can look at the last couple of weeks and say, hey, we put up a six spot against the Yankees, put up 11 against the Rays, hey, eight on the last day of the regular season. Come on, what are we really doing here? You cannot... You cannot transport that into playoff baseball and the last part of this and i know you're saying it tongue-in-cheek i certainly hope no one in that room is going everybody has a plan boys some people like singles some people like homers but we we want that guy on the mound to suck so much he's not going to throw us a strike and we're going to walk ourselves home it's no way to live life hey if you can be patient enough in the moment that's great and i would love to see someone unraveling to a point where they're just handing you free runs but yeah you uh you cannot bank on that at this time of year no, you, it is important, though, to have a plan at the plate totally. and, to, and to have uh, a refined approach. And I think of postseason at-bats and the the best that I can remember in my lifetime of watching postseason baseball. It's those vintage Yankees-Red Sox teams, right, uh, of the early 2000s yep. where, hey, who was in control? Was it the pitcher who had the ball or the batter at the plate who was not going to swing at your pitch? He was going to force you into the middle of the zone. Uh, and it was for those teams and, and 
you know, for a good stretch of time there was the Red Sox, certainly in, in 04 with Manny Ramirez and, yeah. and David Ortiz and, and forcing some pitchers into the middle but of the zone. But it's not just those guys. I mean, we talked about it the other day with Brandon Bell, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's Brandon, and I know Brandon Belt occupies maybe more of a important place than we want him to on this team, but it's guys like that. And to use your Red Sox example, is Bill Miller, is Kevin Millar. Like we think of the great players on those teams, but they were only able to be great because of the attrition that had been uh, been provided by the yeah. lineup around them. So, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And, and again, it's going to come back to v- Bo and Vlad and everything, but it's the Brandon Belts of the world yeah. fouling off a great 0-2 pitch or something like that. No, it's a great point that Brandon Belt um, – it, it, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if he's the Blue Jays' most important hitter over a stretcher right, in the postseason. Right, that's why he's maybe not the best example for this, but... No, I, I think at times he's been the most important hitter during the regular season for the Blue Jays, but mm-hmm. I could also see a situation, like you're saying, where where he puts the onus back on the pitcher during the postseason. Do the Blue Jays have enough of those guys? Do they have guys that can do that and then, you know, upsteps Bo Bichette on a first pitch, he's going to put a hurting on you? We'll see. I, I'm... And I know Ross Atkins is never going to say this, but I'm I'm kind of in the Chris Bassett camp who a couple of weeks ago talked about, hey, I know everybody thought this was going to be the offense team because of the names on the that run mm-hmm. down the lineup here. I, I think at this point we've all understood that we're the pitching and defense team. And the defense has been great since the word go and was a point of emphasis for this team in 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 going out and getting a Dalton Bar show in the trade for Matt Chapman mm-hmm. a couple of years ago and Kevin Kiermaier, the signing that, that occurred there. Uh, even a guy like Alejandro Kirk has been great defensively. I, I think the more likely scenario to Blue Jays postseason success mm-hmm. is scoring just enough to win. And why would it be any different than this regular season in which every single victory was a, a grind, <laughs> a grindy grind? Yeah, that's, 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 what I expect if things are going to go the way the Blue Jays want them to the next month. Yeah, and it's the the idea of, hey, it's look at the names on the back, and that's why we think it's going to be the offense team. Look at the bank accounts of the guys that throw the ball. Kevin Gosman, $100 million pitcher. Jose Barrios traded your first-round pick, which I know, you know, baseball can be a little finicky, but it makes it sound way better when I say it. $100 million pitcher. Chris Bassett, maybe not at the absolute apex of the, of the market last year, Big time spending, shorter term deal, what, 60 something million dollar pitcher? Hyunjin Ryu. I know he's not a factor anymore. Guess what? The one gave him a ton of money too. Uh, Jordan Hicks, have you heard of him? Prospect Capital. Jordan Romano has led the American League in saves many times across the last two seasons. Why would we think it's anything different? Even, you know, you look at the ads they went and make. It's Dalton Varsho, and say what you will, the defense has been there all year long. It's Kevin Kiermeyer. Was that the sexiest of ads? No, but God, what an important one it was for them this year so you just look at the things this team has prioritized and I know they would tell you oh we actually thought our show was going to give us a little more offensively yeah you you hope that but he didn't mm-hmm. he's given you in, in spades defensively so just look at what this team has prioritized of course of course it's the pitching and defense team since even you know even a guy who not anytime recently but has been an important power bat for this team in Chapman so much of the ad for him was he is an elite 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 Third baseman defensively. So, of course, that's the team they are. Of course, Chris Bassett's right. Yeah, speaking of Chris Bassett. And by the way, we, we got an, uh, an extended uh, show today. The programming schedule on Sports at 590, the fan maximized for your listening enjoyment today. Is we're going to take you right up to uh, Blue Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy at 10 o'clock. Um, Chris Bassett. And don't worry, guys. Bunk's going to just 
Spunk is coming on, okay? Just later today. Yeah, it's, don't uh, get upset. I, I don't know. He's on at some point. Uh, what, 2 o'clock? No, mm. noon. Noon till 2. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, we'll we'll do his show for him today <laughs> between 9 and 10. Uh, do, ba- do we get his army in here? Uh, <laughs> we should. <laughs> no, I think those guys have to travel with him. But uh, So, Jose Barrios is going to start in game 2 of this game, or of this series, which is going to be super interesting to see him against his former team. Not the first time he's faced the, mm-hmm. the Minnesota Twins, but obviously going to be an emotional moment for him. Um, and then Chris Bassett is going to start in game three, which I guess makes a ton of sense. Like, they 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 keep everybody on turn. There was the the potential that existed of moving Yusei Kikuchi up, having him start in the third game of this series. Of course, for the Blue Jays' sake, they hope they win the first two mm-hmm. games, and there isn't a third one in this series, and it's Bassett starting game one of a division series. But... I think there was a pretty good argument to be made that Yusei Kikuchi would be the Game 3 starter for the Blue Jays. I think he's still going to be on the postseason roster. The Blue Jays have until 10 Mm o'clock to finalize that and probably going to take it all the way up to the wire despite the fact that I think the moves are pretty obvious and that you you still get a 26-man roster despite the fact that you have a maximum of three games. They did take 13 pitchers last year when they played a three-game series against the Mariners. I I, it would boggle the mind to see them take 13 pitchers again this time. I think we're going to have 12 pitchers and extended bench, which means Cam Eden. But Kikuchi, if you're making the argument for him, and I would, the Twins significantly better offensively against right-handed pitchers than left-handed pitchers. Um, both Kikuchi and Chris Bassett made one start against the Twins this season. And I know we're talking about tiny samples, and we're talking about a long time ago also. Mm -hmm. This was before the All-Star break. The Blue Jays played both series against the Twins, both in Minnesota and back in Toronto. Chris Bassett gave up seven earned runs in four innings. Yusei Kikuchi, significantly better, gave up two earned runs over five innings pitch. So, like, there's the the statistical Mm -hmm. season-long sample of the Twins not hitting as well against lefties as they have Mm -hmm. against righties. And then there's like the micro of, hey, who have they hit better this season? Who has a bit of uh, an iffy track record come the postseason as well? And you look at Bassett, uh, not exactly the prototypical postseason pitcher where the strikeout totals aren't exactly what you want. I might have leaned towards Kikuchi. I'm sure the Blue Jays are hoping it's irrelevant because they win the first two games of the series. Yeah, I also think you have to weigh, and I agree with you. I just want to start this answer by saying I agree with you. I would go Kikuchi there, although you have to weigh two other parts of that. One is the possibility, and I think, again, if he is being used in this capacity, things have gone disastrously bad. But just because they've gone disastrously bad doesn't mean the season has to end. Is Kikuchi being used in relief? Obviously, Chris Bassett is just like, there's no world where you're using him in relief. And I think like every every breakdown I've seen of what the Blue Jays postseason Mm -hmm. roster is going to look like for this three-game series, Kikuchi's still on the the roster as the like mop-up man, emergency Mm -hmm. relief guy. Yeah. And then the other part of it you have to factor in as well is the form showed towards the tail end of the season. Like Bassett came on really, really well towards the end of the year and Kikuchi did show a bit of stumbling and you know, I know everyone's going to roll their eyes about this, but the idea of messing around with guys days especially like the guy who sleeps like a cat for 15 hours a day like maybe that's that's the worst guy (laughs) in the history of 
mankind yeah. to tell him he has to pitch on a day he's oh. not supposed to pitch. Great so point. I think that honestly had to be weighed into it as well. But I think I think honestly probably the biggest thing going in Bassett's favor is his the recency bias and just the pitcher he's been in the you know kind of since late August and through the month of September he's been a better guy than Kikuchi's been different profile and that doesn't mean he's the right guy for the Twins but I can I can see how they end up there just looking at it but also I will say you outlined the playoff numbers and the numbers against righties and I just I really hope for Chris Bassett's sake that where the pitching and defense team quote doesn't come back to bite him yeah. specifically. <laughs> Why? Because well, it's they, like, hey, hey, we should look at the pitchers. We're the pitching yeah. team. Proceeds to lay an egg in game three because yeah. I have a Brad profile against this team. Yada yada. That is just that is ripe for old takes exposed coming coming back at him. Just I hope it's not the case, but yeah. I'd be lying if my head didn't go there. Yeah, and that's a great point, and it's interesting because that would be a scenario in which the Blue Jays will at least have had one victory uh, in the postseason. In this Vlad, do you think and they'll Bo celebrate tenure. for that? I unlikely that they. I, here's what I can tell you though: <laughs> they will get a champagne celebration if they win the series, and then they'll get another one if yep. they win the division yep. series, and then another if they yep. win the American League Championship Series, and then another if they win the World Series. So yeah, maybe it's not too late to to make my bet on on buying big, a bunch of champagne. champagne. Oh, so what would be your bet there? Buy champagne stocks, or are you mm. going full? Like uh, like eighteen eighties bootlegger, and you just oh, want to just get all the champagne, champagne in no. Ontario, <laughs> hoping that Major League yeah. Baseball hasn't already pre like, pre purchased the champagne. There's this guy in Burlington; <laughs> he's got it hoarded up in his house. Somewhere. There's no stock. I, we'd love to 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 give you guys some champagne, but, but we're hey. out. Prices, we gotta <laughs> gotta make a deal here. Um, and then you get to do the finger thing, which means yeah, the taxes yeah, to the, them. That's great. true. Uh, we'll talk to Derek Falvey, Minnesota Twins president of baseball operations, later on in the program. There is some interesting roster um, decisions upcoming today mm-hmm. for the Twins because I think the Blue Jays is pretty standard, pretty straightforward. I think we know what we're gonna get, and Cam Eden's gonna be on the it's roster. Like, David like Schneider's gonna be on the it's roster. Like a little teensy Bowden Francis. I'm seeing some of yeah, this. Yeah, Bowden out there. Francis, Trevor Richards, yeah. and and. Yeah. Go. Decide. Well, I, does not I, matter is the answer. I think if either guy is in a baseball it's, that's game, exactly it. It's that's... gone horribly, horribly wrong, and I wouldn't have said that at points during this regular season when Trevor Richards has and I like rightly Francis. De- deserved to pitch and leveraged and pitched really well. And Bowden Francis, I think, is a legit rotation option mm-hmm. next season, especially with the departure of Hunjin Ryu. But yeah, no, those are bottom of the bullpen arms your circle of trust in the postseason is as tiny as it gets mm-hmm. and we'll talk to dan shulman about this later but like how the deployment looks in the postseason will be interesting too but the twins okay here's what it looks like carlos correa you may recall him from many astros teams of recent vintage you might know him from such exploits as banging on trash cans yeah. or hearing that you can't talk about that because george springer I, plays for the toronto blue jays I mean, okay you i might know him from those exploits too <laughs> just saying we don't talk about that brent <laughs> oh that's okay. that's a okay. thing that we we, okay. we don't know just because what the astro never even no, heard of him no 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 george springer won his world series mvp fair and square oh, okay no, but- like he's different because yeah. he's a man of honor. <laughs> yeah. Do not go back and relitigate who benefited <laughs> most from trash can banging. Okay. Isn't it not worth your okay, time? Just quickly. There's never going to be anything funnier than, than Altuve. Just like, please don't rip off my shirt during yeah. the celebration. We can move on, but it's just, that's never not going to be it's, hilarious. But he got a new tattoo, Brent. He uh-huh. was embarrassed at the tattoo that it didn't look. Well, it's you and I are just such clear as day. Tattoo guys would yeah. know you can't do that. So no, Moving on, 
yeah, pretty clearly there was, yeah, something not on the up and up with Jose Altuve, and clearly George Springer was. Uh, I would just like to apologize for dragging you into this mush. I, I brought no, no, you no. to listen. It's it's something that exists, and and something that I think pretty clearly happened, and everybody's trying to move on. And yeah, if you're a fan of another baseball team in a different market without any former Astros, you get to rip them all the time. But not if you're a Blue Jays fan. You don't get to do that because George Springer a, was right in the middle of it. Just a couple guys with their hands in their pockets looking up, whistling, just trying to move on yeah. and avoid the conversation. <laughs> right. Anyways, Carlos Correa, also part of that. But yeah, we don't talk about that again because uh, George Springer, a big part of it too. 79 career playoff games for Carlos Correa, 849 OPS, including 18 homers. It's really, really good. Again, maybe a trash can aided. But he's been on the shelf with plantar fasciitis, uh-huh. did not finish the season with the Minnesota Twins after landing in Minnesota. Remember the offseason where it was like, oh, he's going to the oh, Mets yeah. and the was that Giants. This, was that this offseason? Yes, off it sure was. I feel was. Like he's already been a Twin. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm right. He it was, just it was feels a, like he's been a Twin well, for a whole He year. was. He was a okay. Twin before Oh, that. right. They got traded. Yeah, okay. Now I remember. Yes, he yeah. was a Twin. And then a you saga know, this guy has had. Yes. It turns out, the Mets and the Giants very much correct in not pointing up the the dough that it took to get Carlos. It's the only Correa. thing the Mets were right about, because offensively he's regressed in a in a big time way mm-hmm. and spent some time on the injured list like he is right now. But OPS around seven hundred. The defense is still good at shortstop. There was a I guess a bit of a question as to his availability come the postseason. All indications are that he will be activated on the roster in the starting lineup for the Minnesota Twins. And despite the season long numbers and the fact that he's been inactive for a Mm -hmm. couple of months you you're still you look at him and you think postseason success i think the bigger loss and i don't think this is like some hot take i think anybody that's looked at the baseball reference page or looked at all the grand slams that royce lewis has hit this season (laughs) would talk about him not being available for the twins being the bigger deal and i guess there's a possibility that he is on the roster, this is a, a very young player and, and a part of this Twins future, big part of it going forward. Here's his quote today, or at least yesterday. I'd love to be out there, but I also don't want to be a hindrance to this team at all. This team's rolling. I just want to be part of it in any way. If I'm a cheerleader, that'd be great. If I'm hitting homers, that'd also be great. So whatever I can do, whatever Rocco and the team thinks is best, I'll do that. Um, I think if if you're a Twins fan, you, you'd prefer the home run thing as opposed to mm-hmm. the cheerleader thing. I think but, so. But that indicates a guy that doesn't feel like he's 100%. And I don't I don't know if the, the twins are still in the decision-making process and it's not the only piece of evidence they would use to make the case as to whether he's yeah. active or not. But that, that would frighten me if I was a twins executive and I was trying to decide whether this guy at 75%, 80% was worth putting on the roster. This sounds like a guy who's not all that confident in where he is physically right now. Yeah, it certainly does sound that way. And, you know, the thing about a power hitter specifically is that you could be at 70% of yourself and, and be a, you know, maybe all the time positive, but if you just club one or two, especially in a three-game series, it's amazing what you can do. I mean, we all remember the Kirk Gibson home run. Like that's one of the most famous moments in baseball and limping around and the double fist pump and all that. And, you know, I don't think you'd want a guy in the series if he is super hamstrung like that. But if it is a team that is, you know, look at what their team's been this year, they need the Homer. That is how they're going to compete. And especially with him being like you added a young guy, a big piece of their core. 
I think if it's at all close, you put him on the roster because you want him, one, he's an important player, and if he heals up in the two or three days, you want him available to you, and two, just the element of him being a part of it, not just watching, not hanging out in the dugout, but actually being an official part of the roster. So I think that the fact that he's such a kind of key piece for them moving forward probably tips it that I think they'd put him on the roster, even if it's a, you know, maybe 50-50 is too strong a proposition, but if there's a 70% chance they could use him, 65, something like that, I could see them putting him on the roster still. Yeah, it's, uh, he's a, he's a very important player. Um, and I mentioned the Grand Slams, so he hit this season, Royce Lewis, uh, 15 home runs in 58 games played, so he had an OPS of 921. 15 home runs for a 24-year-old player, uh, a, a rookie after playing 12 career or 12 career games going into this season. So he hit 15 home runs this season. Five of them were grand slams. <laughs> he hit five grand slams. And that's not, that's just like a weirdo thing, yeah. I suppose. But yeah, it 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 is. Did the Blue Jays as a team hit five grand slams this year? I don't no, think they no came chance, close to five think. grand slams. Royce Lewis hit five grand slams. <laughs> This season feels like a, a clutch performer and, and for the twins to be without him, would be a huge loss. Or, you know, we did, we did warn everyone that there's never been an entity in sports more due than the Minnesota twins to win a playoff game I at guess. home was 0 for 18. This guy is done. He's mm-hmm. anti due. All his big moments <laughs> have already happened. The idea that this guy is just going to continue to swat grand slam. Like we know it's a fluky thing. It's a run. Yeah, sure. You're not, Come on, you're not going to hit six Grand Slams in a season, are you? Um, so producer Jeff Azaparty yeah. just told me how many Grand Slams the Blue Jays hit this season. How Three. many do you think? Three. Oh, wow. No, two. Oh. <laughs> wow, you overestimated the Blue Jays' offense. The Blue Jays hit two. Royce Lewis hit five. I'm trying to think who He didn't them. even play the whole season. He hit five Grand Slams. <laughs> the Blue Jays won 89 games. They have Vladimir Guerrero Jr., could, George Springer, Bo Bichette, Matt they hit two grand slams. You know what would be even more infuriating is if you saw how many opportunities the Jays had. That's, I mean, <laughs> you know what? Coming back, and later on today, we'll we'll dig up the, the Blue Jays' numbers. With, Bug felon. With uh, the bases loaded, it's like historically bad with the Blue Jays. Oh, the, the James, and, James and T.O. guy, uh, right. he had the tweet he of at great. home specifically. Oh, and it's yeah, it's just not it's ideal. Death. Yeah. No, no way to live. <laughs> no way to live. No, they need to trade for Royce Lewis immediately. All right. When we come back, Raptors held media day yesterday, and uh, there were some things said. Uh, it was not just a typical cliche no. answer day by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Maple Leafs go to overtime and lose as well, and the news not so great on Connor Timmons. We'll get to that and more next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. In-depth Blue Jays coverage with an analytical twist. Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy. Be sure to subscribe and download Jays Talk on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It could look it could look different because I, I feel like I always have two people on me every time I'm on the court. So sometimes it might look like you shoot over two people, but 
it is what it is. When teams uh, put two players on you, you need to make a pass. Somebody is open. <laughs> Game is easy. When, uh, when, uh, when you have a less of a defender regarding you, you've got to make a move and you've got to score. But when they put two players on you, you need to find open men. And uh, it's going to be up to us to, to provide those passing lanes for him. Fan Morning Show, Sports Time 59, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. So that was just like a little taste of yeah. what we got at a Raptors media if, day. If I yesterday. could say the Raptors media day in one sound, it would be like the save from the bell, like, woo! Like it was yeah. just a lot of juicy little side eye comments coming out of Raptors media day, I feel like. So the first clip you heard was Pascal Siakam. The second one was from new Raptors head coach Darko Ryakovich. Coach Darko, don't you go saying his last name making me sound bad because I'm only calling him Coach Darko on the show. Darko is fine. Um, Darko Ryakovich. Uh, Pascal Siakam responding. Like there, there's another layer to what you just heard, but Pascal Siakam <laughs> talking about his style of play and the isolation that he existed in offensively a season ago and the stagnant offense that the Raptors showed at extended periods of time a season ago and that Darko Royakovich, like there's a, a multiple different areas that he's going to attempt to change the way this team plays and, and maybe even beyond that culturally change how this team exists. Part of it is playing more bench players, uh, getting guys some more rest, maybe not, playing guys 40 minutes in the middle of the season when there's 82 games to play. The other part is playing a more team-oriented, um, easier-flowing offensive basketball game, and that means maybe Pascal Siakam sharing the ball a little bit more. Um, so this is th that was a response to, well, one, the comments at both the trade deadline uh -huh. at the end of the season from Masai Ujiri talking about a lot of selfish play creeping into the Raptors' offensive uh, game plan, but also him reiterating it yesterday. We do believe in Pascal. Uh, we do believe that um, a lot of our players didn't play the right way um, last year, and we want to see them play the right way. I said it that we were selfish. I'm not running away from that. Uh, we were selfish and we did not play the right way. So let us see it when we play the right way. Okay. That's that's a pretty clear statement. And it's not him explicitly saying Pascal Siakam is the selfish player, but it was it, it came as a response to a question about, hey, Pascal Siakam, your most significant player, this is the last year of his deal. Have you talked about an extension mm -hmm. with him? Something he's eligible to sign at any point. And he said... Hey, uh, I'm reiterating the selfish thing. Not saying that Pascal was the selfish one, but like, here's my response to your question about Pascal Siakam. <laughs> I'm not backing away from this team being selfish. That's, I mean, shots fired is, is maybe a bit extreme, yeah. but that's that's quite a way to start the season from a narrative perspective. Yeah, even if it wasn't a question, like let's let's see be even more charitable with it. Let's say it wasn't a specific pointed question about Pascal Siakam. If you go look at the usage rate for this team, it's him, Fred Van Vliet, and Scotty Barnes that have the ball all the time. And guess what? Fred Van Vliet's not here. Scotty Barnes is the future. Who is it you're really talking about here, Masai Ujiri? I think that the thing, and and the thing about Masai, and it's funny, we kind of talked with this a little bit about Zach Wilson yesterday, and weird to tie those two together, I know, but all the qualities that make you hate Zach Wilson, the second he starts performing and balling out, you're like, hmm, Kind of love how cocky this kid is, and he won't take no for an answer, yada, yada. And it's the exact way with Masai Ujiri. 
all the qualities that you love about him, his arrogance, his brashness, his ability that he can have the answer all the time is what you love about him when he is building up a championship organization. But in these moments here where it is unclear the direction you're taking, that it is just you see a guy who is completely unwilling to back away from it. And I love that about you, Jerry, that he is open with his criticisms of this team. Now, the problem is, is that he hasn't been open enough with the criticisms to do anything about the roster. And I would imagine that part of this is a guy who is kind of tied up in everything that had happened with Dame. And he probably thought there was a realistic chance that there were some changes to this roster coming. So maybe that's why he's kind of in that headspace to be offering those comments as well. Media day. Well, it's like a chance for basketball fans to be excited or when it's the Blue Jays in February and they arrive at spring training or whether it's the Toronto Maple Leafs when they do their Mm. first media availability. Well, it gets your juices flowing. You're like, it's finally here. The answers you get during a media day, the conversations. White bread. That's what it's supposed to be. It's (laughs) milk toast to the hundredth degree. Yeah. Like, you see the stories written about some of the quotes that come out of these media days, and it's people stretching to to get anything out of the quotes, either from the players or the coaches or the executives. That's not normally what you hear from an executive without a preseason game even being played, talking about, hey, I said they were selfish last year. There's... I'm still of the belief that this is a selfish group and we got to figure out if they're selfish or not. And especially considering the timing around Pascal Siakam, the the rumors that surrounded him, maybe not necessarily with the Dame Lillard trade mm-hmm. rumors, but there were more than a few trade rumors. In fact, so many that Siakam's agent had to basically put it out to the world that, hey, if you trade for this guy, he's not signing an extension with your organization because it felt like it was so very much a distinct possibility. Is that selfish of him? I don't know if it's selfish of him, but uh, I think what Masai Ujiri is talking about is, is the play on the court. Now, is there a possibility that Pascal Siakam, who's been one of the great developmental stories, not just in franchise history, but in NBA history to be a late first round pick, turning himself into a borderline all NBA player Mm -hmm. and the second best player at times during a championship season in 2019. Is, is there a possibility that he takes even another step and and can become a guy that you can squint and see as being a running mate to to Scotty Barnes and those two guys being the key cogs of the next Raptors Mm -hmm. championship contender? Yeah, maybe. I'll put my hand up. I just want to be on record and say, no, that's not going to happen. I would just want to put my hand up and say that. I think that's a smart bet. Okay. <laughs> I think it's one that Masai Ujiri thinks he's making. Okay. And I think what we saw yesterday, and I think what we're seeing for the whatever 30, 40 games that are played before the trade deadline, it's the beginning of the end of the Pascal Siakam tenure in Toronto. Because this is not a situation that you can go into the end of the year watching another Fred Van Vliet take place where he takes his ball somewhere else Mm -hmm. and signs as a free agent. This is clearly a tipping point when it comes to him and to a lesser extent, OG Ananobi, who's also a pending free agent with a a player option that he's going to clearly opt out on. But I I think we're starting to see the wheels in motion of uh, Pascal Siakam's tenure as a Toronto Raptor 
saying goodbye. Yeah, I think it does feel like Coach Darko is the last gasp reset of, okay, let's see. We were going to make a coaching change anyways. Let's see if this kind of resets things. Uh, I will just reiterate again. I think the Raptors made a mistake in trading for Jakob Pertle a year ago. I think they made a mistake in not doing some of this business at the draft. And I think bleeding it into the regular season will continue to be a mistake. Hand up. I'd love to be wrong. I just don't think that's the way it's going to turn out. It's interesting to me the perceived value of both those players as well with Pascal and OG because no one is going to sit here and say, oh, OG's a better player than Pascal. One of those guys has been an All-NBA guy, the other's not. But because because of the level Pascal finds himself in, it's, ah, you're not a superstar. You're not Luka. You're not Joel Embiid. Whereas OG is in this kind of mushy middle of role player, but he's better than that. He's kind of like your fourth guy. And there's been the report out there, who knows if it's true or not, and who knows what the protections would have been on such things, but of the four first-round picks being offered for him, that that's kind of OG's value now, and anything less than that is going to feel somewhat disappointing in a trade. And I don't know that anybody would sit there and say, oh, you're going to get four first-round picks for Pascal Siakam. So it's just it's a really interesting scenario that these guys who are both on expiring deals who both could be clear help to a championship team, the lesser of the two players is the guy we have a harder or a more concrete idea of what his value is because of that report from last deadline. Well, and it it, it also should be mentioned that there's been more than a couple of reports about OG Ananobi being uncomfortable with his role in this Raptors offense. And Quite wanting, a few. Yeah. Wanting a, a bigger uh, slice of the pie when it comes to, you talk about usage, right? Him wanting more of it because, yeah, he wants to be perceived as on that that same offensive level as a, a player like Pascal Siakam. I think what we're learning here more and more, and I, I don't know what comes first, the winning or the culture thing, that this this is an organization and a franchise and a team specifically that has a lot of issues that that go beyond maybe the 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 players that are on the roster that, it might be unsalvageable. I mean, we'll we'll see what Darko Royakovich has up his up his sleeve here, but it feels like there's maybe a cultural reset about to take place here in Toronto. I think it's a fair question to ask. I don't know if I'm there yet because I think it's totally fair to say the people who built that culture here were, I mean, you can go all the way back to Dwayne Casey. You could say it was a culture of not getting it done, but that was a the start of the building of a, a culture of respectability and winning and all of those things. And I think that then you bleed it through to Nick Nurse, who was the guy who got him across the finish line. Obviously, Kyle Lowry was a big, big part of building that. But I also don't think you can take away what Masai Ujiri was as a culture setter in that organization. And I think that, I don't know if it's a case of the culture falling off a cliff there, but this is a case of this is what happens what NBA teams have to reset. You know, we're so used to these being the same organizations that just, hey, it's the Boston Celtics and they're going to reload mm-hmm. and find a way. Hey, it's 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 the Lakers. Oh, look, LeBron's playing for them now. Yeah, of course, they're the Lakers. They find a way. This is what it looks like for more of your, you know, non-dynasty type NBA teams. There is this mushy middle. There is this kind of lost in the wilderness time after you win a title where you figure out exactly what you are. So I don't look at it as a definitive proof that this organization has lost culture but I think that this is their kind of last stand to prove that they still have some of it in them if they can bleed it over with a new coach and hopefully, hopefully some trades being made this year. Well, and this is a clear, I don't know if it's a gamble. It's a clear estimation that these type of comments are going to spur change action from Pascal Siakam and not inhibit him in any way. It's not a situation where Pascal Siakam is going to hear 
the front office say almost explicitly, you're the reason I talked about selfishness. You were too selfish mm-hmm. offensively a season ago. They're assuming that that's going to result in improved play and whether that means it's improved to the point that 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 Masai Ujiri can see himself ha- forking over the whatever 200 million mm-hmm. over four years for Pascal Siakam or the other scenario is that he, he his play is so improved and and he plays to the level um, that is obviously desirable for a mm-hmm. team in a win now mode that his value at the trade deadline is at 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 the peak mm-hmm. of his Raptors tenure. So this is a, a clear understanding of what motivates Pascal Siakam and a guy that apparently is motivated by the stick, not necessarily the carrot. Uh, apparently, and Masai would have a better insight to that than most people would, right? It's a guy who's known him for a long time professionally. The other element to this that I don't think can be discounted is I don't think this by any means like takes Coach Darko off the hook, but it does make me grade him like a touch lighter. Yeah, there's a lot of problems here. Yeah, it's like you lit a match on the first day of training <laughs> camp and then said, all right, I'm going to take my time and figure this all out. Oh, by the way, Coach Darko, meet yeah. all the guys. Uh, are any of them selfish to you? Right. And then just walked away. And, you know, part of everything we heard about this guy is the relationship builder, and that's part of what they love about him. All right, he better be really, really good at it because through no fault of his own, it it would feel like if I was involved in that, there'd be some fences to mend there. Yeah, that's a tough one for your first NBA head coaching <laughs> gig and your boss. Um, Jordy Fernandez is sitting there like, whoo, yeah. thank God. Yeah. <laughs> your boss publicly calls out the best player <laughs> before preseason And then games everyone asks you what you think about yeah. it. And you're like, I never even coached him. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, best of luck. All right. Uh <laughs> Blue Jays and Minnesota Twins about to play a playoff baseball game in October in Minneapolis in beautiful weather. I mean, it makes no sense, but uh, that's where we're at uh, for this afternoon. I heard it's getting warmer in the world. <laughs> 4.30, first pitch, uh, Kevin Gossman, Pablo uh, Lopez. We'll talk to John Morosi of MLB Network next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.